somehow time warped back to youth group or something, you know? Like, I'm kind of getting that feeling tonight, all the, the jumping in the video. Um, whoa, got to watch out for that. So tonight, you have come together to be with us for a celebration, a celebration of the vision, a celebration of the gospel, a celebration of why God has called us together to plant this church. Now, for many of you in here, a lot of these things are going to be new, and so we want to share with you just a little bit about the vision that God has called us to at Matthias Lot. When you look at the logo of Matthias Lot, the first thing that people often see when they, when they look at our logo is like a person that's raising their hands up in the air. And it is that, but it is so much more. The circle inside of the logo is to represent a stone. And outside of that circle, the other part of it is supposed to be a jar. You see, back in times of the New Testament, one of the ways that they would make decisions was called casting lots. They would take a jar that would have several stones in it, and they would shake it, and they would roll it. Now, depending upon which way the stones would fall would be the dependent upon what decision would be made. It would be very similar to drawing straws or rolling the dice. So in Acts chapter 1, the disciples gathered together after Judas has betrayed Jesus. And the reason that they gather together is to call the one that will take his place. Peter stands up and he says that, we, that Scripture must be fulfilled. There must be one called to take the place of Judas. And so they pray and then they cast lots believing fully in the sovereignty of God that after they had prayed and after they had asked God to speak, that once that lot was cast, God would call and God would choose whoever it was supposed to be that would replace Judas. So we see very quickly there's two. Joseph, also called Barsabbas, and Matthias. And Scripture tells us that the lot falls to Matthias. Now Matthias' role We only see him mentioned this time in Scripture. Never again is he mentioned. And so as we look at the piece of Scripture that he fulfills, his whole purpose in calling is to be the one that would restore integrity to the apostolic ring of disciples. There was 11 and there needed to be 12. And so he comes and fulfills his role in being the 12th, the one that brings back integrity to the circle, the one that was prophesied. For Matthias Lot, we believe that our calling is to be a church along with many other churches in the community, many other churches in the world that are called to be a part of restoring integrity to the bride of Christ, the church. There's a lot of us who have a whole bunch of baggage baggage towards the church, a whole bunch of struggles of things that we've seen happen that have caused us to not want to be a part of it, that have caused us just to stay at home. We believe that God has called us to be one of the churches that is desperately seeking the face of Christ and seeking to understand what it means to be a biblical, God-honoring, Jesus-loving church. Now, as, as I even say that, it may sound arrogant, like, what do you mean? You're, you're going to be the ones that complete, you know, the church. No, that's not what we're saying at all. But what we are saying is that on this journey, while we will make mistakes, we promise our vision is that we would be the church of integrity that God has called us to be. Because the question is, 
does Scripture call us to something or not, right? The question in restoring integrity to the bride of Christ, some would say, just like Jason just said, well, that's pompous. Like you guys think that you have all the answers, you think that your church is right. That's completely arrogant. But actually what we're saying is, no, we're nasty, depraved. We say all the time, a bunch of young punks trying to do the right thing because we believe that this book never comes back void. That these are words to live by, not suggestions. We believe that the things that Jesus came and taught and that the entire picture of the Scriptures is for you and I to open up and say this is what we're striving for. The Gospel, the Christ, the Lord, it's Him that we follow, not a culturized picture of Christianity. Amen? So what does that look like? What does restoring integrity to the Bride of Christ look like? There's many things. I want to mention three tonight. The first thing that you'll hear over and over and over at Matthias's lot is that our first value, the thing that hinges on everything, is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22 is the greatest commandment. He was asked by the Pharisees trying to trap him, what's the greatest commandment? And he responds like this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. And I love what he says next. He says, the second is like it, which is interesting. The second is like it, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Our mission statement, our vision statement, everything that Matthias' lot is about is loving him, God, and loving his, the people that he's created. Everything hinges. We believe that everyone everywhere is looking for two things, love and truth in that order. And so here, we don't arrogantly have some message to slam down your throat. The opportunity that we believe that we have as a church in St. Charles and beyond and in this room currently is to love one another. It's to look past our differences, to look past all the barriers that culture has placed upon us and to say, you know what? Like You're a desperate sinner in need of grace, just like me. And so we have something together uniquely that creates a bond between us. And so at Matthias, friends, Everything hinges on love. It's fighting the right battle in the right war. And I'm sure you're like us. We spent a lot of time confused as kids watching communities fight the wrong battles in the wrong war. Amen? And so at Matthias, every battle hinges on the battle of love. Secondly, I grew up in a church community that taught me that busyness and holiness were combined. That to be holy, it was a self-righteous act of to-do's. And that if you just did these certain things in the exact proper order and wore the tie, you know, I was the six-year-old kid that had to wear a tie at church, you know what I mean? I mean, picture me, I was just rambunctious, you know, I, this thing couldn't contain me, right? But, but I was being taught that if you look like this, then, then you were more holy, then you were like them. And so I, I grew up and, and my Sundays would be from, from seven in the morning till eight o'clock at night and I would come home and my parents would slap me on the butt and call me a holy child. And I was learning that busyness and holiness were combined. Well, Matthias, obviously you're here on a Wednesday. And so I'm sure that many of you are curious. You're like, so, like, why, like, why are we here on a Wednesday, right? And the reason being is we felt called when we planted this church to pull out this idea of self-righteousness. To say that none, not a single one of us can earn a single thing. Amen? That it's only because of Christ, only because of His power, only because of His grace that any of us can do anything. And that was the purpose of the Sabbath back in Exodus. And so at Matthias' lot, we're reclaiming the idea of the Sabbath. Believing that Jesus didn't abolish it. 
believing that He's called us to cease our daily activities and to take a day and celebrate who He is as Christ. And so on Wednesdays we meet here and on Sundays we have lot families and Jason will talk about those here in a second. But, but thirdly, we believe here that restoring integrity to the Bride of Christ means that each of us would be very, very honest about who we are and very, very honest about who God is. Anyone just tired of judgment? Anyone just tired of feeling like everywhere you go, it's just everyone's looking at you and there's just a checklist and then you're placed in some category and then you're just shunned? Friends, we believe here that loneliness is not good. That it's good to be together that it's good to be in a place where you can feel encouraged, where you can feel like you can stand up in front of the entire body and say, here I am, Mark Sikma, a punk sinner in desperate need of the grace of God. And the only way that happens in this setting is if gossip does not run the show. And I want to spend just a moment. We have a lot of young singles here. And I think there's a great danger, especially among you, who are in and out of relationships, who are building relationships, and you're starting a lot of younger relationships, I think there's a great tendency, especially in the college young 20 age group, to be in a constant state of judgment because you're trying to elevate yourself above others because you're in this kind of like, I'm experiencing life and I'm doing this deal. Let me tell you this, here at this church, gossip and judgment cannot and must not and will not run the show. It's a community built upon the idea that you and I can be completely honest about our struggles and that here people will see us through the lens of Christ. Messy? Of course. Easy? No way. But does it say that gossip is good in here? No, my friends. It says flee from it. And so at Matthias' lot, we hold the idea of restoring integrity to the bride of Christ deep to our heart. I think uh, so often, because we're humans and we're prideful, we get this mentality of thinking that like we are the originators of all good ideas. And so even as you hear Mark talking about togetherness, you're like, yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. Can we just say right now that humans did not create the idea of togetherness? Like God, in Genesis chapter 2, says that it is not good for man to be alone. So God creates woman, man and woman, to be together. Then, in John chapter 17, in Jesus' final prayer, before He's crucified, we see so often that people say the things that are most on their heart before they will go to their death. Jesus says that He is praying for unity. He's praying for the disciples to be one as He is one. Can you imagine the intricacy of the relationship that God shares amongst Himself? Father, Spirit, Son. What a beautiful relationship. And Jesus is saying, I desire for my disciples to have a relationship like that. But not only do I desire it for my disciples, but I desire it for those who will come after them. Friends, He's talking about us. So, because we believe that Jesus desires unity and God has created unity, togetherness to be a good thing, not only is it a good thing for us, but Jesus says that the world will know Jesus by our unity. The best evangelism that we could ever go out and do isn't in a track. 
It's not inviting people to VBS or trying to get them into a choir. The best evangelism that we could ever do is for the church to be the church, to stop fighting, to stop gossiping, to start loving each other, to start loving our neighbors, and people will see love and they'll be attracted to it like they always are. So we believe that God has called us to be that church in deep community together. But obviously, as you think about community, you must realize that intimate community does not happen in a large gathering like this. And so we have to go to the scriptures and to see how Christ, how God has desired for us through his word to be in community together. Now, again, we often think that we're originators of all good ideas. And so we've heard of this thing going on called the small group craze. And that everybody wants to get into a a program or a method now of doing church called small groups. Well, if we go back to Acts chapter 2, we see very quickly that the church from the very beginning was meeting in homes. And what they did in those homes is they would gather around the teaching, around the fellowship of the believers, around the breaking of bread, remembering Christ and what he had done. And they would get together and they would pray. And through all those things and through the Holy Spirit being upon them and God working, God would add to their number daily those that were being saved. And so at Matthias Lot, the way that we are fleshing out community, the way that we are learning how to be united and to live life together is we are living in Lot families, living in homes on Sundays. We gather together for all the elements that I just said, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And because that's the vision that God has given us, that's the word that He's given us as a church, we believe that if we are faithful to that, just like in the New Testament, that God will add to our number daily those that are being saved as we seek to honor Him through the calling that He's not just given some churches, but He's given all churches to live in community together. It's not going away. It's not a fad for us. This is life. And we want to challenge you. If you're not living in community with a Lot family, what the heck are you waiting for? Why would you not connect to a Lot family and begin to live life together in this community? Because we believe that that's what God's called all Christians to do, not just a few. So if you're like me, you're like, yeah, all these things sound very idealistic, right? There are a lot of, so here's what we should do. We should lock the doors here at the columns. There's a fatty kitchen here. We could just live here forever. You know what I mean? (laughs) Just create a little commune, right? Well, I'll put on, yeah, this would be awesome. There's even a couple showers back there we can share, not at the same time. You guys understand what I'm saying? You know, we'll just, right, we'll just, we'll just live here in a commune. But as you and I both, both know that that's not the call in our life. So the question becomes then, so after all of this, then, then, then what do we do? We gather and we come and we worship and we reflect this idea of love and we learn together in community and then what? Jesus says to go therefore into all the nations, baptizing them and making disciples. It's very clear in Scripture that as God does add daily to their number, that obedience for you and I is not just to grab this love and grab four or five of our best friends that look like us and say, all right, now, now this is perfect. Now we have community. No, no, no. The picture of discipleship is God sending us out as missionaries into a world that is just as fallen as you and I were without Christ. 
And the moment that we forget that is the moment that we stop being missionaries. The moment that we escalate ourselves apart from Christ, my friends, above our friends and our neighbors and our community is the moment that our missionary life ceases to exist. But the moment that we see our neighbor and the people that we interact with at the restaurant and the cashier at Walmart, the moment that we see them as a sinner in need of grace, just like me before Christ, is the moment that we understand that disciple-making and replicating what he's called me to do is essential to the move and the development of the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. And so we desire to be a church that is disciples who are making disciples, not converts who are going out and gathering more converts, but individuals who understand that to follow Christ, it means that we're daily dying, taking up our cross. And what a beautiful picture. I love this. What a beautiful picture it is when others, when we get to sit back and watch God save others, others answering the call to daily die. How more anti-cultural can you be? We get to watch as God moves in the hearts of men and calls them to daily die, just like you and I. What a beautiful picture. Because before they would have been said, death? No way. Like that, that's, and then it begins to taste good because we're following Christ. The other way that we get that opportunity is by being a part of church planning. And you guys have already met him here tonight. But I want to have uh, Noah and Heather just stand up where you're at. Um, here's Noah and Heather. Can we give them a big, a big round of applause, big hand? Yeah. Thanks, guys. Noah and Heather are our um, brand new church planning interns that just started on Monday. Uh, he just That was Noah's scooter that you saw, because he's going to just be zooming around St. Charles. You may see him. But one of the ways that we as a church community can multiply and duplicate is by calling church planners and sending out resources and people just to, just to plant churches. I, friends, we believe... That in St. Charles, we wish there were a hundred more church plants tomorrow. And so there is not a moment in our hearts. If Noah decides to plant down the street in St. Charles, we would say praise be to God. You guys, are you guys with us? There's no king, there, there's no our kingdom, Matthias's kingdom. So yeah, oh, we're going to call church planters and then, hey, Noah, can you plant in Ohio? That'll be great. No, no, no. The picture is come together, let's serve together, and we can watch God do His thing. And is there any more fun than watching God do His thing, huh? There's a beautiful passage um, that I'd like to read from Luke chapter 20. That is the, uh, it's the epitome of uh, God, Christ, doing His thing. Luke chapter 20, verse 9, you can just follow along with me. It says this, He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some, far, uh, to some farmers and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of that fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the odor of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love, perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. 
When the people heard this, they said, may this never be. Jesus looked directly at them and said, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it, it, um, but, but on whom it faith will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. If you're like me, sometimes it's easier to understand a story when the story is retold. And so let me retell you this story for whatever you need to do to close your eyes just to come with me on a journey for a moment. Follow me here. There is a man, and a man comes and he plants this beautiful vineyard. It's a place where there's a, a plentiful trees that are growing. It's a beautiful place. And what he decides to do is he loans it out. He gives it out to some tenants to come and to take care of the vineyard as he goes away for a long trip. One day he decides that he's going to send some of his own servants. And his servants are going to go on behalf of the owner. And they're going to go and they're going to get some of the fruit. And they're going to take the fruit back to the owner of the vineyard. And so he sends the first servant. Well, the tenants see this servant coming. And they take it as an opportunity to beat down the servant and to send him back to the owner. Because they don't want to give the fruit. So then the owner sees this and being troubled, he sends another one of his servants. And again, the same thing happens. The tenants beat down the servant and he's sent away. And so then a third time, the, the owner, a very gracious owner of the vineyard, decides that he will yet send another servant. And again, the third time, the servant is beat down and he's sent away. The owner, being very troubled and seeing what has happened, comes up with an idea. And he says, I know what I'll do. I will send my son. Surely they will respect my son. Surely they will see me as the owner and my son the heir. And they would never do anything to my son. Surely my son will return with the fruit that I am desiring. And so he sends his son in seeing that the owner has sent his son, the tenants take that son, and they beat him to death, and they throw him out of the vineyard. Now after hearing this, the only conclusion that we can come to, and this is the conclusion that Christ gives, is that the owner's going to show up, and he's going to kill all the tenants, and he is going to give this vineyard to another group of people. Now, follow me here for just a moment. As you hear this story, there's some very important things that you need to understand about this parable. The man who owns the vineyard, the man who plants the vineyard, is none other than God Himself. And the vineyard is a representation of the covenant love of God. The vineyard is the promise of relationship with Christ. And so now, thinking about the vineyard this way, the tenants who God has given the promise to are the people of Israel. It's the Jews. And the servants that have been sent by the owner, by God, are the prophets. We see all throughout the Old Testament, God sending prophets to speak on His behalf 
to the people of Israel, to the Jews. And over and over in the Old Testament, the prophets are killed. And so God says, I will send my son Jesus. And he does. And his son is crucified on a tree. Now as you hear this story, I'm sure in our minds it's easy to say, man, this, this story sounds like it's, it's just very down, like it's, it's very disheartening. May I tell you something tonight? This story should give you joy. This story should bring us to our feet in worship and excitement as we see the gospel and as we see the sovereign will of God being worked out through Scripture. Because what's happening in this story, the other people that God says that He is going to give His promise to, those other people are the Gentiles. It's none other than you and me. So we become a part of the promise. The gospel comes, becomes available to us because the hard-heartedness of some of the Jews. Now does this mean that the Jews can no longer be a part of any of the promise? We see over and over through the book of Romans and on, Paul talking about the Israelites, the Jews being grafted back in. But what we understand through this whole story is that salvation is not only for the Jews, friends, but it's available to the Gentiles. That's good news. Because it's available to you and it's available to me. So tonight... If you're wrestling with this question of like, well, that sounds like a good story and and I'm starting to, to believe this in my heart, but what does that mean that I do? If you have not entered into the vineyard, if you have not entered into the promise of Christ, the covenant love that He is extending to you to have a relationship with Him, to live eternally in glory as we worship Him in spirit and in truth, let me tell you what you must do. The book of John says this over and over. In John chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus says, if you want to be a part of the vineyard, if you want to come in, check this out. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. And then again, if you have your Bibles, verse 46 No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only He has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, He who believes has everlasting life. Tonight, if you're here and you're saying, I've been separated from God. I've got sin in my life and I know it. I'm depraved. I'm worthless. And I want to enter into the vineyard. I want to be restored with this relationship with God that you're speaking of. All Scripture says the same thing. If you want to know God, you have a way through the mediator, the great mediator, Jesus Christ. And the blood that He shed is enough for me and for you and for all of those who God will give faith to believe. We're depraved. We don't have the ability in and of ourselves to produce faith, but God in His merciful love gives us faith and gives us clear eyes to see the gospel that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and no one will ever know God except through Him. So tonight, 
if you're seeing it for the first time, don't harden your heart. May grace become irresistible for you. And may you know God for the first time tonight. There's one more thing that I want to share about this passage, and it's this. Jesus talks about a cornerstone, a capstone. And a capstone, what I want you to understand is this. A capstone would be a stone where two walls would come together and it would be the stone at the very, very bottom that would be holding up the two walls. And so a capstone, friends, is very, very important because if the capstone breaks, two walls are gone, the roof and everything else is falling in. And so as Jesus compares himself to a capstone tonight. And as we've been talking about the vision and as we've been talking about the values of our church, this is what you want, you must understand. At Matthias Lot and all throughout Scripture, what we see is Jesus is the foundation of the church. And so tonight, if you've come in and you've been, if you've been looking at Mark Sigma or Jeff Brzezinski as the capstone of this church, May tonight you see that Jesus is the capstone. Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the one that is holding this whole thing together. Jesus is the lead pastor. Jesus is the CEO. Jesus is everything in this community. Our budget does not hold together this church. Our small group leaders do not hold together this church. Jesus is the foundation of Matthias Lot. And at the very moment that Jesus is not the capstone, the walls will fall, we'll be like every other church, we'll all go home, and we'll be angry again at the church. May Jesus always be the capstone of this church forever. Let's stand. Today, as we stand, and as we get ready to pray and go back into worship May our standing be a representation that we are standing together, church, on the foundation of Jesus Christ. He's the capstone of our lives. He's the capstone of this church. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the only way that we could ever be brought back to a relationship with God. God, we're grateful for uh, what you're doing in our midst, for the clear call and vision that you have given us as a church. And I pray, God, that we'll be humbled by that call that will see that call as not unattainable, but that will see it empowered by our Holy Spirit as something that you have called us to. And so I pray that tonight, Father, we'll celebrate that, that we'll remember that as a church, that we'll um, release some of our baggage of communities and gossip and judgment, and that we'll believe and trust anew in the fact that you can do a great work in us, that you can change us, and that you can bring us back to you. And so, Father, we just commission this church in your hands again, We give ourselves to you and we say, Lord Jesus, we ask and plead that St. Charles will be affected by your movement. And that if you would choose, oh God, would you use us? Would you use us in this community? God, would you empower us to love the poor and the widowed? God, would you encourage us in the moments when it gets difficult and messy to reach out to our neighbors? Lord Jesus, will you use us as a church to remind the world that you are the cornerstone of every single piece of their life, not a self-help book or Oprah or some uh, relationship God. God, use us 
to spread the great gospel of love and truth that you are everything. You're every part. You're everything. God, we adore you and we ask that you'll hear our cries of worship. In your awesome name. And I don't know How you got me here But all along Your grace has drawn me near And on my own Some pride and fear And even still You've always been right here You
light I'm running out of darkness out of shame by the cross you are the truth you are the life you are the way I once was I once was fatherless, a stranger with no home. 
Your kindness waken me, waken me from my sleep. Your love it beckons deeply, uncalled to come and die. By grace now I will come and take this life and take your life. Sin has lost its power. Death has lost its sting. From the grave you've risen. Victoriously. And into marvelous light I'm running. Out of darkness, out of shame. And by the cross you are the truth. You are the life. You are the way. My dead heart, my dead heart now is beating, my deepest stains now clean, your breath fills up my lungs, now I'm free, now I'm free, my dead heart now is beating, my deepest stains now clean, your breath fills up my lungs, now I'm free, now I'm free. Sin has lost its power, death has lost its sting. From the grave you've risen, victoriously. And to marvelous light I'm running. Out of darkness, out of shame, and by the cross you are the truth, you are the life, you are the way, and into marvelous light I'm running. Out of darkness, out of shame, by the cross you are the truth, you are the life, you are the way, I may be down, but I will rise. And it may be dark, but God is light. And I may be down, but I will rise. And it may be dark, but God is light. Sin has lost its power, death has lost its sting, from the grave, shout it out, victoriously, and into marvelous light I'm running, out of darkness, out of shame, by the cross you are the truth, you are the life, you are the marvelous light I'm running out of darkness out of shame 
by the cross you are the truth you are the life you are the Amen. Shout to God. Let's go ahead and remain standing. If you guys couldn't tell tonight, uh, it is a celebration. We are celebrating God and we are celebrating what He's done through the vision of this church. And we're going to continue that celebration right now. We know how a whole bunch of you like to go out to, to Applebee's or DQ and hang out together. And instead of like sending you guys out to go and fellowship and to celebrate, we just thought that we'd bring the celebration right up in here. You know what I'm saying? So, because of that, the doors, I think, or that wall is about to just completely move. And on the other side of that wall, we've got a whole bunch of tables set up. We've got 10 gallons of vanilla ice cream. We've got a whole bunch of Hershey's chocolate syrup, peanuts, all kinds of stuff. We're going to have some sundaes. And, um, we're, you know... Call the ice cream social, call whatever you want, but we're going to hang out together and we're going to celebrate what God's doing. So plan on doing that with us. Nobody leave. Plan on doing that with us here in a minute. If you're not in a lot family during that time, check this out. Listen up for just a second. If you're not in a lot family during that time, come and see me, see Mark, see Jamont, see somebody and let us get you connected to a lot family. They'll be meeting this Sunday. I promise you it is something that every one of us will enjoy being a part of. A couple other announcements, not this Saturday, but next Saturday is our next second Saturday. We're going to be partnering with the Church of St. Charles to go into Powell Terrace and to give backpacks and school supplies, school supplies to kids that can't afford them. And so plan on meeting at the Matthias office at 9 o'clock next Saturday. The next thing is um, Jason Jacobs is putting together a men's fishing trip for us. Uh, he would love to talk to you today if you're interested in being a part of that. It's just going to be a great time for fellowship and for men coming together. And the last thing is this. So often we have miscommunicated what we get to do in the community of Christ. We've talked about that we have to go to church, we have to worship, we have to tithe. Can we see tonight that we get to worship? You know what I'm saying? Like we get to come to church. God gives us that blessing. And not only that, but tonight, God is giving you the opportunity to get to worship through tithing and through giving to Him. And so we've got a joy box in the back. That's the way that we give our tithes and our offerings to the Lord. And if you feel called to worship that way, we encourage you to put that back in the joy box in the back. Let me pray for us and we'll go on to the other side and we're going to party together. Father, thank you for giving a reason for us to celebrate not just because of a church or just because of relationships, because of the capstone of Jesus. He's the foundation of this church. He's the foundation of our faith. And He is the only way of knowing you. So we thank you for sending your Son into the world to glorify you by dying on a cross and giving us the opportunity to be redeemed. We love you. Thank you for this ice cream. In 